We're going to continue on with our sermon series in Isaiah. Uh, and last week we came to the transitional chapter, which is chapter 40. Uh, we've explained that the first 39 chapters are, are really the chapters of judgment that God has shared with the people of Judah and Israel, the judgment. Uh, and the last 27 chapters from 40 to 66 are really called the chapters of hope, uh, the chapters uh, of comfort. And last week uh, we spoke about the God who comforts. Uh, this week we're speaking about the God who cares, the one who cares. We have to understand Isaiah, as we know, is a messenger from God. He's speaking prophetically uh, in a, into the future, the words that God has given him to bring comfort and encouragement to that group of people who would really class as a refugees would be the word that we would use today. Uh, that's the word we're using as they came back from exile and captivity. Activity. Uh, God had a message for them because the judgment now has finished in the words that he wanted to say to them. Now was the time to speak some words of encouragement, some words of comfort, and some words of care. Each of us in our Christian walk um, would understand the next statement that I bring up, and that relates to the journey that the people are on as they come back to Jerusalem, that often God's absence is far more real than God's God's presence, then we go through difficulties and challenges in our life, and we feel as though uh, God has nothing to say to us, He's not speaking to us, He's not answering our prayer, and we sense that His absence is a lot more real uh, than God's presence, than, than His presence. And this is the position they are in here. And so last week we looked at the first five verses of how God wanted to bring the words of comfort to them. He wanted to say to them, The judgment was over, now is the time for me to comfort you. Uh, and and so these next five verses that we're going to read, uh, these, are the, the, these describe the God who cares for his people. And um, in Mark chapter 8, uh, just as we side thing here, the disciples are going across the lake in a boat. Uh, and suddenly this furious storm blows up. Uh, Jesus is still asleep in the boat. Uh, the disciples, even though they're experienced fishermen, you know, they're starting to panic. They're starting to get scared uh, because they, they think they're going to die. And they ask this amazing question. I always think it's an amazing question because they wake Jesus up and they don't wake him up and tell him there's a storm. They, they, they wake him up and ask him this question. He says, Master, do you not care if we die? And I thought to myself, wow, what a fascinating question, an amazing question to ask the, the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus, who was actually going to go to the cross to prove how much he cared, to show us how much he loved us and cared for us. And, and that care comes all the way through Scripture, and it's highlighted really in this story here as we, uh, as we read these verses. Uh, and it's verse 6 to 11. It says, A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those 
that have young. These first 11 verses, the ones we looked at last week, the ones we look at today, there is a message that God wants to communicate through Isaiah, that, that God wants them to know that he, he cares for them and is comforting them. And in these verses, we see something happening, and, and it's really this, when God speaks, things happen. Uh, and there are, four ver- there are four voices that, that God, in a sense, speaks in, in this passage that will help us the, this morning. The last week we looked at this, we looked at the, the voice of pardon. And the voice of pardon was simply they had sinned, they, they had messed up. And, but God had told them that he had forgiven them. And often that, this phrase I've been using for a few weeks now, uh, God always wants them to know simply that they are his people and he is their God. And no matter how many times they rebel and no matter how many times they uh, do the stuff they're going to do and break the covenant and break the promise, God always draws them back to himself. And this is what this passage is about some 50 years later, that he wants them to know. He says, you, you, you're my people and I'm your God. So he speaks with that voice of pardon in the early verses. Uh, the second voice he speaks with is this voice of provision. Uh, and it's simply this, that, that, that God would make a way. Well, people would remember the song, God will make a way. I'm not going to sing it for you this morning because I can't sing, but you would know the song that God will make a way. And here it speaks of this, that God would make a way, that he would remove any obstacles that would get in the way, any challenges that would get in the way. Verse 4, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain. So, so God, it would be that provision to remove every obstacle that would be in their way. Much like in, in our lives where we come to pray, we'll often face the obstacles, the challenges, the difficulties of what we are facing. And we're praying and say, God, would, would you make a way? The many, many answers to prayers of people even sitting in here tonight where we prayed for them and say, God, would you answer our prayer? Would you make a way where nobody else could make a way? God would make a way. And, and he has to so receive that voice of provision. It brings us on to today, which he, God speaks with a voice of promise. He says this twice. He says, the grass withers and the flowers fall. He's simply declaring that all flesh is grass. You see, Assyria's gone now. Syria that, that drew uh, Judah into captivity and did all the stuff that they, they're gone. You know, Babylon was gone now. Nations, kings, and leaders fade away. But what he's declaring is this, is the word of God abides forever. You see, in Adam, the whole world lies under the death penalty. And, and, and for us as people, we, we, we live and flourish for a brief time because we are like that grass with us, our flowers that, that, that fall. The fading, withering man is both comforted and given strength by the Spirit of God, but more importantly, by the Word of God that endures forever. No matter what happens to us, and none of us were here a hundred years ago, uh, and sorry, none of us will be here in a hundred years' time, but you know, there is this point that actually we're here, we, 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 we have a life, we experience life, we, we make some choices, uh, and, and, and we live that, but, but we, we, we fade away. He says, I am no longer at my physical peak. That would be fairly obvious to most of you. Uh, but none of you, some of you aren't at your physical peak either. And no matter how many running machines we go on or weights we lift or other stuff that we do, nothing will prevent the inevitable. The, the one day we will just wither away. You're praying now that the sermon gets better. It does get better. But that's the reality of it. Isaiah is saying to the people, he says, you can make your choices. You can choose what you want to do. 
But the thing that matters, the most important thing, is this eternal word of God that lasts forever. How do we prove that this morning? Well, the same words that Isaiah writes to encourage the people at that time are the same words we read in 2020. I mean, it's the living word of God, isn't it? Out of everything else that has happened in that time since then, we're still here speaking and reading from the same passage that was written at that time, just as proof that the word of the Lord endures forever. And we see that here, the voice of promise is the third, but finally, the voice of peace. And Isaiah speaks of a message so great. He talks about the good tidings. And he wants them to be spared as widely as possible. Scott, to remember, Isaiah's not just speaking a message to the, the Jews. He's speaking a message to everybody. There's a prophetic statement in here that God was sending his son, Jesus Christ, and the message of Jesus Christ would be spread for every nation. Uh, and so he declares here, he says, what we do is this, is you stand on top of a high mountain. And the messenger can proclaim this great message to as many people as possible. Why? So everybody can hear it. If I've got something to say, I tell you, I don't need a microphone, as you probably know. But this, the message that is proclaimed, and it's not just any message, it's his message that he says, behold your God. All the stuff that we preach sometimes, and I can give you six tips for living your life right this week that won't help you very much, but I can point you to God because it tells us here, behold your God in all his majesty, in all his wonder, in all his power, in all his forgiveness, in all his... That's a message they're proclaiming. And the same proclaiming from the mountaintop so everybody can hear. We're at an advantage today. This is to be recorded. This will go out and if anybody's trouble sleeping at night, they can watch it again to fall to sleep. But it goes out to everyone. You see, here Isaiah says that same message goes out to everyone because he's proclaimed from the mountaintops. Behold your God. What do we do as preachers? He says we do this when we preach sermons. And often we don't do it because we want to help people and give them points and tips and tell them about other things. But actually, the point of every preacher preaching a sermon is point people to God. He says, so when we come into church this morning, we have worshipped and we beheld God in our worship. And when we come to the table, we're led to be reminded of the sacrifice that Christ made as we behold God who sent his son to be the sacrifice. As we come to preach the word, what are we doing? We're beholding God. We're directing you towards God. But more importantly, the message this morning is directing you towards a God that cares for you. That you think, oh, he's not interested in me. I tell you this morning, he's interested in everything about you because he cares for you this morning. You see, the good news that they were proclaiming in that day was the defeat of Babylon and the release of the captive Jews. You see, the good news today that we're proclaiming is a defeat of sin and Satan by Jesus Christ and the salvation of all who trust in him that's the message the church has got to preach in 2020 it's still the message that the world needs to hear it doesn't matter if people want to hear it or not we still have to be faithful to preaching the message it's why Paul tells young Timothy in his letter to him he says this he says preach the word in season and out of season and I always take that to mean preach a word whether you feel like it or not. Preach a word whether they're listening or not. Preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. Isaiah is just doing it here. Saying this is the good news that God has uh, for people. And so we're invited here to simply behold our God. And so this message comes, but we're coming back really to, to the God who cares. 
There's a final verse here. He really talks about God's loving care uh, as a shepherd. Because verse 11 tells us, uh, verse 11 tells us, uh, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and close to his heart. And he gently leads those that have young. God has moved in a sense from the judgment that has been passed upon to the people. Because remember we said that that we can trust God in in his judgment because it's entirely fair. But he's moved from this now because he wants the people to understand the care, the comfort that he has for them in their situation, that he's still their God. And and he uses this illustration and shepherd is always used as an illustration in in the Bible because God loves to identify as a shepherd. Many of the greatest men of the Bible were shepherds. Their character as shepherds point to Jesus Christ. Up to this point in Isaiah, the readers would have known Abel is a picture of Jesus, the sacrifice shepherd. Jacob is a picture of Jesus, the working shepherd. Joseph is a picture of Jesus, the persecuted and exalted shepherd. Moses is a picture of Jesus, the calling out from Egypt shepherd. And David is a picture of Jesus, the shepherd king. So it's no wonder Isaiah here speaks about God as a shepherd and the care and the comfort that he has for his sheep. Jesus in the New Testament is given three great titles regarding his work as a shepherd. He's the good shepherd in John 10. He's good why is he good because he tells us he lays down his life for his sheep for those that belong to him for those uh, he has sacrificed his life in hebrews 13 he's described as the great shepherd he is great in his glorious triumph over every enemy jesus is the chief shepherd he's the chief over all his people in his return he's given those titles in the new testament now the bible typically describes us sometimes as wandering sheep who need the shepherd's guidance. Why? Not because we're, we're foolish and dumb, because simply we need to be led. And in being led, we're fed. And in being fed, we're guided. And in being guided, we're shown the way that we need to live. That's why this description of a shepherd is there, both in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and Isaiah uses it here, because he wants the people to understand that that God cares for them, that that actually he wants to direct them, that they can trust his promises, that he'll lead them and he'll guide them, that that he's responsible for feeding them, and he feeds them like a shepherd uh, uh, feeds his flock. And like a shepherd, I notice some of these things. Uh, the first one is this, is uh, that God marks off his sheep as his own. And that simply speaks of the belonging. You know, if you're ever out and you see sheep out in the field and, and you see the different colours on the sheep on the wall, you know, red or blue, or I suppose it would be red and blue round here, but if it was red and blue, this is why it tells them that the sheep belongs to, to a particular farmer. And, you know, if you ever watch these TV programs about the, the, the sheep and, and the farmer knows the name of the sheep. I mean, to us, let's be honest, sheep all look the same, don't they? They all look, they all look the same. <laughs> sorry, I, you're just sitting there, Tim, I'm sorry. You're saying, <laughs> and the sheep all look the same. And, but they can turn around and say, I know that's Jeffrey, and I know that's Gertrude, and I know, and they've got the names for all their sheep. And it tells us a picture of the belonging. Uh, that they not only have to the farmer, but the belonging that, that we have to God. Well, God knows each and every one of our names. 
that in a sense the belonging is the first point in caring that actually God cares for us because we belong to him and so he marks us off as his own the second thing that we see is this we provides general oversight of the flock the tending which is simply just he cares for their every need he looks after them he, I mean, Jesus uses the example of you have a hundred sheep and you lose one of them he says would you not go out and look for the sheep now I thought about this and I thought to myself if it was me I'd be happy with the 99 I would look at it the sheep's wandered off it's his own fault he can become somebody's Sunday lunch that's his fault he's wandered off but the reality is that Jesus doesn't do that. And actually, it's, it's quite interesting because we would look at it and say, well, 199, I'm happy with 99. Uh, and yet he uses this, uh, I'd go out and look for the sheep. And he goes and finds a sheep and he brings the sheep back. Why? Because he cares. So even if there's a flock of sheep and there's one sheep on the side and the sheep is a limp because it's hurt its leg or it's damaged itself in some way or it doesn't look like the other sheep or it looks like a strange sheep or it looks like a weird sheep or it looks like a sheep that it doesn't belong. Actually, it all belongs in the flock. And actually, it's a description of the church that we don't have bring, just bringing everybody who looks right we bring in everybody. So the people who look a bit strange to us, or people who look a bit weird to us, or people who don't quite be, you know, know how to behave in church, listen, there's a place for them all. We gather them all in because they all belong and we care for them all. We don't say, well, you stay out there because that's sort of the place where you sort of go, you really fit church and the, you know, the, the Christianity that we want. No, no, the Christianity that we want is this, that they all belong that everybody gets cared for because that's what Jesus did. That's what God, Isaiah is describing that God did here. That simply saying to the people, I care for you because you belong. What happens to you matters. And it uses that description that these people have got to make this long journey home. Simply say, you all matter. Everybody matters. Not just the ones that have done it right, live right, religious right, all those people. He says, he says it's everybody. Uh, and then we see this here, the, 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 that journey that he, he, he pays a specific attention to particular needs, that those with a limp, those who don't quite fit, he gathers them all together. I always think that's a wonderful picture of church. We would never gather together as we are, even in three services, had it not been for what Jesus Christ had done in everybody's life here. Why would we? Would you want to spend time with me if you weren't a Christian? No, I wouldn't want to spend time with you if you weren't a Christian. <laughs> That's the reality, but see, there's something that comes under the whole thing here. What Jesus Christ has done, it unites us and it brings us together and we belong together because he's gathered us all in together and he cares for us individually and he pays that specific attention to the particular needs of you and me. We see it finally here. He says he identifies with the concerns of his lambs, leading those with young. I read something interesting uh, about being a shepherd. Uh, there's something called a cast-down sheep. And the cast-down sheep would be a sheep who'd got themselves into trouble. They'd fallen on the back, and their legs would be flailing in the air. That's flailing. Their legs would be flailing in the air. And they simply would not be able to rescue themselves. They simply would just lie there, kicking their legs out, uh, until they were either rescued or until they died. That's, that's a reality of it. And so what would happen is this, is it was the responsibility of the shepherd to come and rescue them because they couldn't rescue themselves. 
And I thought, what a wonderful picture of what God has done in Jesus Christ. That we're the cast down sheep and we think we've got it all together, but we're the ones lying on the back kicking our legs in the air, thinking we're actually doing something, but actually we need the shepherd to rescue us. Now, what the shepherd does is this, he doesn't come along and sort of roll the sheep back over and sort of, there you go. Because the sheep is exhausted. The sheep has been kicking his legs out for ages until he's rescued. The shepherd, because he loves the sheep, he lifts the sheep up and he puts the sheep over his shoulders here and he holds on to the legs so the legs don't kick out anymore and he carries him. He carries him. He doesn't sort of set him on his way again. Often people have this idea that when we make mistakes and things happen and we're broken and there's some weakness within us, uh, Jesus sort of somehow sets us back on our way. He doesn't. He carries us. He carries us. But why? Because we're exhausted. We've tried to rescue ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves. And he carries us over the shoulder because our burdens are his burdens. Our concerns are there. And it's just that aspect of, of care. But there's a more wonderful aspect of care that we see here because a shepherd won't do that with a lamb. You see, what a shepherd does with a lamb, he, he sort of picks a lamb up and he, he draws a lamb into his arms here. And he holds him in his arms. It's a bit like when somebody hands you a baby. You know, if you're handed a baby, you don't hold a baby like that, do you? And sort of, you know, it doesn't matter whose baby it is. He says, you draw the baby in, don't you? Hold it in its arms uh, and, 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 and you comfort it. And, and there's a reason for that. And, and, and Spurgeon said this. He says, to carry is kindness, which is this. But to carry next to the heart is loving kindness. Why? Because your shoulders are for power, and the back is for force, but the heart is the seat of love. And you see, when God treats us like the lambs that we are, he draws us in not to carry us from a distance, or in a sense, throw us over his shoulders. He draws us into his heart of love. And you want a picture this morning of how God cares for you and me? That's the picture. He picks us up. He holds us there. He draws us next to the heart so we can feel the warmth, the comfort, and the care that he has for us. That's why this illustration is used. Not that we would just carry on and skim past it to some important theological point. There is no more important point than this. That God cares for you and me this morning. He carries us close to the heart. Not as one would carry a baby. Not as one would throw over the shoulders. But one like this, close to the heart. So we would feel his warmth, his concern, his comfort, and his care. And I think that's a wonderful picture this morning. And I finished with what I started with this morning. And it's this, that Mark 4, verse 38, Jesus goes across the lake in a storm. The disciples ask him a question. Master, do you not care? Jesus, absolutely does he care. Absolutely does he love us. Absolutely has he demonstrated that love by going to the cross for every single person in here. And not only that, but this morning, whatever your concerns are, whatever your cares are, whatever your circumstances, your health issues, everything that's going on in your life, there is a God that cares for you today. And he doesn't carry you over the shoulders as a burden. He carries you close to the heart because he loves you and he cares for you. And he says, we come to the end and the team are going to lead us in a final song. It's really just, uh, the song this morning is a response to the word. Because the chorus of the word is, Lord, I need you. That's it, simply.
He says, there was something about these people on this journey. There was a declaration, I think, as they walked the journey, that simply, God, we need you. Our forefathers have messed up. Our ancestors messed up. We got sold into slavery and captivity, and we're in an exile. We're on this long journey home now. And on that long journey home, what they needed more than anything was the God who cares for them and the God who comforts them. Move forward to us today. As we go out the doors, the doors of the church today, it says, what do we need above everything else? And whatever you may face this week, and I don't know every circumstance, but I do know that promise is true as it was then. It says, you take with you the God who cares for you, the God who wants to bring you comfort today. The God whose promise from last week was not necessarily, this is when I will rescue you and deliver you, but I will be with you. And that's the greatest demonstration of care that we can see in everything that we go through. God is with us. He is with you and me. Let us pray. Father, as we're here, we realize as we read your word, Father, we know that in their journey, as they're walking this journey, God, from exile and captivity and slavery, that, that God, the promise is that you are not only comforting them, you care for them as well. And though they are messed up and they're broken on the journey, Father God, we thank you for the promise of your word, that you're not only treating them like sheep, but treating them like little lambs, because you want to show that loving kindness and care. And Father, that same promise of your word is true for each and every one of us gathered in this place today. God, that you love us and you demonstrate that love for us by showing that you care for us in everything that we are facing and you bring us comfort in the assurance that we know you are with us in everything that we are facing. And Father, our response to the word is simply in this final song where the words just simply declare, Lord, we need you. We don't have any other answers. We don't have any alternatives. That's simply this, to come to you at the end and simply say, Lord, we need you. And you respond, Father, by showing us that you care for us and you love us. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.